It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me today is Jake Dunlap, founder and CEO of Scaled. Scaled is a revenue, re, revenue innovation group focused on helping their clients develop replicable ways to generate new business. Jake, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Andy. I'm looking forward to it. Well, great. So take a minute, introduce yourself. How did you get your start in business? Sure. So uh, my background is I actually started off in uh, professional sports. I think like a lot of young males, I thought it would be glamorous to work, you know, in and around professional athletes since I couldn't be one myself. And um, <laughs> so something implicit in that, that it wasn't as glamorous as you thought it was going to be. Yes. Uh, you know, sports is a very interesting industry. I mean, it's it's fantastic for a lot. It's just a very tighten it. It's really, you know, kind of moving up. It requires moving across the country and just wasn't necessarily, um, you know, I enjoyed it and I, you know, wouldn't trade it for the world as an amazing experience. And it really kind of helped me to understand, you know, it was my first, you know, kind of professional job, uh, in sales. You know, I had done sales in college, you know, telemarketing and waiting tables and other odd jobs. But, um, you know, so I got my start in, uh, sports, uh, professional sports. I was very fortunate there. And then, you know, jumped over to uh, Career Builder whenever it was in its prime. And so mm-hmm. had a really good, you know, great opportunity there to really kind of learn, you know, uh, what does it look like to really build out a sales machine? Um, and because they're, you know, kind of during the heyday and also, you know, definitely during not the heyday after the you know, kind of 2008 meltdown. I was there from 2006 to 2010. So it was really my first opportunity to kind of grow as a professional and really understand what it meant to be a, you know, a, a very, you know, kind of high-level senior sales leader. And uh, you know, from that, I realized that I really enjoyed working in technology and really enjoyed you know, kind of working with companies that were trying to um, you know, change the, the current landscape in you know, very specific industries. And so from my experience, uh, I was you know, fortunate enough to have the opportunity to take over as the vice president of sales at Glassdoor. And you know, that was really my first chance to really build out a very kind of rapid growth, high performing, you know, kind of typical Silicon Valley you know, sales machine. And so you know, had a great opportunity to do that between 2010, 2011, 2012. And um, you know, decided to make the move out here to New York. Uh, the tech scene was kind of in the initial. Well, I mean, you know, it's kind of in the, still in its. You know, compared to San Francisco, it's not as you know quite as mature. Um, but really, saw a lot of opportunity here to help a lot of companies that are all going through these very similar stages. And so, you know, just kind of quickly, what we do is we work with companies that are at these different inflection points, whether it's early, mid, or later stage growth, helping them to navigate, you know, kind of these difficult scaling. Um, issues that come up around you know the people and the roles, the technology, the process uh, by which we kind of you know engage with our buyers and how we move them through the funnel. So you know today, fast forward to today, we've worked with over a hundred companies. Our companies have raised over, I think, almost over three hundred million dollars to date, and we've helped to generate you know millions of dollars in you know new revenue uh, for these organizations by again helping them to kind of increase efficiency at you know, different pieces of the puzzle. So I, I enjoy working with technology companies and, um, you know, we work with a wide mix of companies outside of the technology sector that are all looking to really modernize and optimize, you know, key aspects of their sales org. So what type of outside of the tech business, what sort of companies? Well, what we've, we've proven, if you, if you think about a lot of the people that we, our companies sell to, it's really about how do you engage with buyers, right? So if you're a company that, 
sells a physical good to retail or a company that sells a software to retail, if you're both reaching out to the vice president of merchandising, um, you know, the, the strategies to do that are not necessarily fundamentally different. Um, and so what we found is that although, you know, when people think of techno- you know, tech sales and SaaS sales, they think of very, you know, kind of cutting edge. What we found is that for some of these more legacy businesses, like services businesses, physical goods, a lot of these technology, a lot of the same you know, strategies that are successful uh, you know, with SaaS companies are also easily repeatable with companies that sell into very, very similar buyers. Um, so we've worked with services companies, physical goods companies, um, you know, information companies, you know, companies that provide kind of a morning star for various commodities products. Mm-hmm. So we've really kind of taken the methodology and been able to adapt it um, you know, to a wide variety of different organizations. So by that, I, I presume what you're talking about is uh, sort of the sales development model. So you've got your inside reps, your business development reps, sales development reps, hunting appointments, demonstrations, whatever is relevant turning that over to an AE when they get a qualified opportunity and letting them take that through to the close? Yeah, that's definitely one piece of it. So if we look, we, you know, kind of we look at there's this triad between the people, right? And that's the roles that you're talking about, right? There's these roles that we need to have to really modernize what we're doing today. And then the, the second piece is the process. And so you talked a little bit about you know, the process as well too. But the process can be a lot of different things, meaning the process can be how do we shorten our sales cycle, meaning historically our sales cycle has been 60 days and that's just how it's been for the last year. But are there, are there fundamental pieces that we're missing in the, what, what I would call the middle funnel that we can adjust or change or optimize to really dramatically decrease our sales cycle or increase our average sales price? So I think when we think about process, there's kind of the workflow and then there's the are we being as efficient as possible and are we managing the stages as efficiently as possible in the process? And then the third piece is, you know, I mentioned this uh, briefly earlier, is the technology. That for the first time ever, you know, if you look at what happened in marketing automation and marketing technology in, in the late 2000s, you know, early, um, you know, early this decade, we're now, you know, we've officially entered into that era for the sales professional. That there are more sales tools today that are available for both frontline, mid-level, and executive leaderships in the sales organization to run your teams more efficiently than there ever have been before. And so it's really challenging for sales leaders to stay on top of all of these different things. And so, you know, what's really important to understand on the technology side is what are the goals of the organization today? And do we have technology aligned around those goals that are going to help us to get there again faster or, you know, more efficiently? And so I think it's really what we try to look at is either all of those pieces and how they fit together in more kind of complex situations or, you know, pieces of the puzzle. But I think every company has to look at it really in those three you know, those three buckets, because those are really the three levers that you have as a, a CEO or a sales leader, you know, to push, um, you know, to really increase the, you know, results and effectiveness. Yeah, I think one of the real challenges for legacy businesses is understanding how the sales model can evolve, how they can utilize and implement the technologies. Uh, you know, I've worked with companies, I did a workshop for a company, I used to tell the story, so the apocryphal tale about this, but about 18 months ago, 100 plus inside sales reps, you know, they had never heard of email tracking. I mean, just simple, you know, what you'd think is sort of basic tools you'd have in your sales stack. And it seems like that's not unusual for companies outside the tech space. Not at all. And even the roles, right? Even like you mentioned this before, which is, yeah, we have 230 salespeople and, you know, uh, half of them are enterprise and we have no sales development reps. 
right? Instead, we're still having our most expensive resources doing one of the least value-added activities uh, in terms of like prospecting side of it. Obviously, the SDR function is a highly value-added activity, but the prospecting side of it in particular is something that, you know, mark, whether it's marketing or a sales development organization should be solving for. And so it really is, as you mentioned, it's the, it's the technology, like basic email tracking. Um, and then it's, again, the, the roles that even can exist for more senior sales leaders and really understanding, you know, what's the right fit. And, and the other side of the funnel that I, I think, Andy, that's been really the most interesting, and I've written a lot about this over the last quarter or two, is account management. That, Mm-hmm. You know, account management is almost always viewed with this very passive, reactive lens of we're responsible for renewals and maybe some growth. Where um, where SaaS really excels is kind of building out account management organizations that you know really perform perform and behave like sales organizations. Well, yeah, and, no, I think the uh, I was at a conference last week. I think I heard that the in San Francisco that the at least in the Valley that among companies certain stage of maturity, but it really wasn't that old. Is that now more than 50% of the revenue comes from customer success or account management. Exactly. exactly. And that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, but we, because again, it's a mindset. It's that how we've historically looked at account management is, you know, it's a 24-year-old who's supposed to make them like them, right? It's like, make the customer like you, make, you know, make sure that they're not angry and just really kind of survive, right? And what we've realized is that, you, you know, actually, if you take more of a you know, challenger approach, right? Taking it from the sales to the current account, it actually works. And we've worked on multiple engagements over the last, you know, 12 months where we've had companies that, you know, again, have been in maintenance mode and, and literally over the course of 30 to 60 days, they've been able to generate, you know, 50, 60, 100 meetings with current clients or other decision makers within their current client base. And it's really just about building out a process and really kind of changing the way that you think about what account management could be. Um, because a lot of these companies, what they do, Andy, is they basically leave either the renewal or the upsell to the salesperson still. Right. And that means the salesperson is doing new biz, and then they're doing some account management. And what happens is one or the other suffers without doubt. And the reason is if you're a salesperson and you have a million-dollar quota, and it's supposed to be a million four next year, and you have a million-dollar book of business um, – Am I going to go and find $400,000 from net new or am I just going to try to mine my own current customers to get to that point, right? Well, of course, I'm going to mine my own current customers. It's exponentially easier, right? And so I think you're seeing this kind of division um, you know, with these or- or organizations. Like they're able to grow their current account base when they have someone who's just focused on real like, like extensive growth with their current accounts by separating out account management from sales. And so I think it's these legacy businesses have always had sales involved because they felt like they had to have a salesperson involved. Uh, in the renewal and upsell because of their view of account management. And so, uh, you know, again, I think it's just a really awesome trend. And, uh, you know, to your point, I've just seen it work so many, you know, so many different times about just activating your current customers and having a really sound current customer activation strategy. And, you know, what we sit down and talk to companies with Andy, whenever they come to us and say, we need to go outbound, right? What we do is we, do, we say, look, there's three ways to generate leads. There's obviously a lot, but when it comes to the sales work. There's outbound, there's inbound, and there's your current clients. And if you don't have a strategy in place for your current clients, which are obviously the ones that convert at the, higher, the highest rates and the fastest, and you don't have a strategy for inbound, which also converts at a higher rate and faster, uh, why are we talking about outbound? And I think it's just because outbound feels good. You're doing something. You're being proactive, whereas the other feels like maybe it's you know 
I don't know. I think it's more of like an ego. Or, it's like more of an ego. <laughs> You're cheating. Or, uh, You're cheating. Yeah, That's what exactly. some people think. But, but who cares, right? It's about growing revenue and growing revenue fast. So Well, exactly. Just, well, I find, yes. it, I find it really interesting you talk about that perspective because there certainly, as you know, there is a very definite camp of sales leaders, thought leaders, so on, that you know, everything starts and stops with proactive outbound prospecting. Yeah, well, I I think Aaron Ross actually describes this pretty well in, in Predictable Revenue, where he has the the pie chart, right, of Spears, mm-hmm. Spears Net Seeds, right? And I think that, you know, we wrote a, a piece that there's, I think there's like this fourth group now, which I think we called drones or something, which is like a hybrid of Nets and, and Spears. Uh, so I think there's been like, because of technology, we've been able to do this kind of weird in-between or kind of hybrid of Spears and Nets type of activity. Well, why don't you, um, uh, why don't you take a second and explain Spears and Nets to, to people who haven't read Predictable Revenue? Sure, sure. So, if you think about the ways to, to generate leads, you know, the way that, that he buckets it is there's seeds, and seeds are the long-term. Long-term growth but yield high fruit, right? Think word of mouth, think PR. Mm-hmm. Um, nets is think marketing, right? We're casting a net toward an audience and we feel like there should be fish or whatever analogy there. Uh, and spears are you know, SDRs or salespeople proactively doing outreach to a very specific audience. Um, so that's good. I should, I should define that. So, um, you know, uh, w- what I was getting at is there's kind of a bleed now between like, you know, what's a spear and what's a net because the nets have become so much more focused and the spears can get, you know, can do so much more that actually behaves more like marketing, right? Like I can do like really amazing, like think of like a sales loft cadence, right? Where sure. their, their whole mantra is this account based marketing. Well, like where does that live? It's kind of this weird hybrid between the two. Um, so there's that, but, but what I was getting to originally, Andy, is each company has its own mix of the pie, meaning Spears is only the right strategy for, only like 100% the right strategy for, for, for nobody really, but it's only like a huge strategy for huge massive enterprise companies where you know, HubSpot's kind of the most notorious for this where they came out and said, we will never do outbound. We will never you know, throw Spears. And what happened is, that was great until they needed to grow enterprise at a meaningful clip, mm-hmm. right? And then what happened? Now they generate, I think it's twenty-five or thirty percent of their revenue from you know outbound activities. So I think that it's it's there's a combination of both, and the problem is companies wait too long to start on the seeds and the net strategies, and so what happens is then they then they have to scramble. So then if you're only stuck throwing spears, if you're only if the only way you can generate leads is outbound, and you're not at least starting to build out the thought leadership and you know some of these other um, you know, lead channels that lead to much faster and higher conversion rates, you're constantly climbing up the same hill. And so what, what, what we're talking about is you're really thinking about how these three fit together is you have to think about, you know, where are you at in your growth cycle and, you know, what can you affect today? But you also have to be planning for the long term, right? You can't just continue to throw spears and think that it's going to be effective because it, it loses its effectiveness over time. Yeah, well, I think the same sphere at the same place, you know, every single right. time. Yeah, and Mark Roberge talks about that specifically in his his book, The Sales Acceleration Formula. And exactly. I had a two part interview with him on the show a couple of months ago. Is is the big mistake companies make is they underinvest in demand gen, as you talk about, relying too much on the the outbound, and it becomes very problematic because you know you need both. You, you definitely need both, and you know again, it's and you know HubSpot obviously is a huge proponent of you know inbound marketing, as you can imagine, it's their what their software does. Um, and the other thing is, it's actually like to, to do some very like rough math, it's actually not difficult to know like what your mix, like an idea of what your mix should look like. Meaning 
if you have an average sales price, mm-hmm. that's, you know, it, Peter Thiel talks about this in his book, Zero to One as well, too. You know, if you have an average sales price that's like sub 5000 sub 10000 he calls, I think it's anything under $1,000 a month of monthly recurring revenue, the no man's land. Um, so, but if you have a product that's not like in this weird no man's land of like, should we throw spears or can marketing generate these people? But if your ASP is, you know, 5,000 or below, like, guess what? Spears are very rarely going to be cost effective, right? Or you're just going to have a, like an army of inside salespeople who are both going to like prospect and close their own deals. And then as your deal complexity moves up, Spears becomes a larger piece of the puzzle. And it's really, it's, it really is that simple. It's that based on what your product sells for, you can only afford to, at scale, pick a strategy that can scale to generate the proper margins at the end of the day. And so I think it's just people, again, people with even low margin projects, they always want to throw spears because spears make us feel good, right? It makes us feel good because we're like proactively doing something. Well, and also if you're a sales manager, a sales leader in that situation is, is you can never really be criticized for not doing enough if you're not. So um, you've written about how sales is changing. We've talked about it some. You know, we've talked about the specialization of sales. We've talked about you know, what the mix of activities. And you made a couple interesting points in an article you wrote a couple months ago. Is one is that salespeople become more like project managers. So what do you mean by that, and why do you think that's the case? Yeah, sure. This is, I think, one of the things I'm more passionate or excited. I get passionate about a lot of things. But um, it's, you know, already today is if you, if you talk to, you know, mid-market and enterprise sales and SMB sales uh, leaders as well, if you look at what top performers do today, what top performers do today is they're really good at moving people through their process, meaning not being a victim of, you know, somebody else hopefully moving their balls across the line for them and being their champion. They're driving the pace. Um, and I think what you're going to see is as transparency becomes, so as like a G2 crowd and as some of these sites become more and more and more prevalent, I, I think we're a ways away from having a perfect marketplace like B2C where you know, if I'm buying a car, I'm equally as informed. I, I don't think we're there yet, nor are we even close to being there in yet. In the business-to-business right? business sphere, right? Exactly. In the business-to-business business world. You know, I, I, was, I got in kind of a debate with someone about this, that you know, the buyer is more informed. And it's like, well, you, you know that the buyer is not as informed. You know, if you ask the buyer when they show up to the first demo from requesting a demo, how much do they know about your company or how much do they know about you, it's usually fairly disappointing. Um, and that's okay. Like, I mean, that's why, you know, kind of sales exists, but I think that trend's going to change, right? As mm-hmm. more, as more and more people, and obviously coming from Glassdoor, you know, our board was, you know, the founder of Zillow was Expedia, right? All of these transparency plays right. uh, in different verticals. Um, you're going to see the same thing happen in B2B. I don't think it'll ever be the perfect marketplace like buying travel or, or some of these other things. Um, but I think you're going to see that increase. And what that means with transparency is that the job of sales is going to continue and continue to be less about, you know, we'll call it like challenging or informing or you know, kind of driving like that level of insight. And really, is it going to come down to the, the aspects of the sale that I mentioned from the very beginning, which is, can I move these person through a very kind of defined process? And I know Mark talks about that you know, kind of the buyer journey, right, in his book, you know, Sales Acceleration Formula 2. But my point is that the skills that, you, that we all think of as sales, right, we think of sales as the, the steak and the, you know, the wine and the golf and the, like, persuasion, et cetera. There are definitely things that relate to human psychology that, that won't change uh, just because we haven't, you know, evolved past those points. But 
there are definitely things that will change when transparency comes into the process that it really becomes the job to be less about, again, persuading or informing. And really, it's about project management. Can I get this person on the ride with me to move through the steps with me? And can I be transparent about our steps? Right to where it not, it's no longer about sales. It's like great. Uh, we had this first meeting. How it typically works next is we need these people involved. I'll loop in these people. Let's see if there's really something here. Here, and then we move into the next phase, which is what we would call formal evaluation. So there's this like discovery phase, initial evaluation phase, formal evaluation phase that really like every deal follows. And I think what you're going to continue to see is that sales people are going to have to be just much better at managing that. Then, as opposed to those other, we'll call it like softer skills, because they just they won't need to. The buyer is going to have more information, and will be educated. And comp and B two B companies are going to have to become more transparent as well, too, right? Like there will be a time where you know if G two Crowd is like the first iteration of this, where it's going to be really tough to sell Cisco a deal for one point five million, and then give Oracle a discount to one point two million. There's going to be a time where like buyers are not going to put up with that, right? Like, and and we're we're, we're seeing like it already permeates throughout our consumer behavior. It there is just no doubt that it's going to permeate throughout our uh, you know, the B two B world as well because as buyers buyers just won't tolerate it. So I think that's when I say project management is that the skills that it used to take to equal truly really great amazing salespeople. Um, I don't want to diminish them. I think they'll still be important, but I think the more important skills will be that ability to actually move people through that ideal buyer journey based on both, you know, your process and based on kind of a, a transparency on the other side and understanding their process. So that's a very, you know, long answer, but <laughs> well, I think that so <laughs> hopefully it's it's, you know, descriptive at least. Yeah, I think that that based on what you said and you know, my belief is that you know, Based on what you're talking about, describe a project manager. It's it's really more of a leadership role because you're really inspiring people to take this journey with you. It's not about persuasion. It's not about convincing. There's there's some still going to be some value that you need to be able to deliver to the prospect to get them enrolled in following you through this process. And that's really what you're you know you're inspiring them to take this journey with you. And it's I agree. It's not going to be you know, with the with the pre-educated prospect, it's very rarely going to be about your features and your benefits because, quite frankly, in most markets, there's so many competitors. You know, we could take sales technology as one of them. You know, there's so many competitors in a certain space now. Eh, you all look alike to the buyer. That's exactly right. So, so where's where's the point of differentiation? Well, yeah, it becomes a little bit of a softer, softer difference. It's you know, it's much more I think about how you sell at that point versus what you're selling, and that sort of speaks to your point about how do you get them enrolled in your process. Yeah, and and I think that the, like there's a, the, one of the precursor industries to this I think is is ad tech, and the reason I say that is ad tech is this space where there's just such saturation, and there's a lot of marketing technology in general. Mm-hmm. There's such saturation, and buyers, you know, it's like wait, so you can do better, more advanced pre-segmentation and audience segmentation with your algorithm than they can. It's so difficult that you actually, you know, I don't think that, I think that the best product doesn't always win, but one of the best products always wins. Um, but what I do think is ad tech has proven that the sales organization, if they are good at what they do and being able to understand and articulate again, like the path to buy, that they can be a really unique weapon. And the reason I bring up ad tech is that 
you know, if you look at the companies that win and some of the companies that were kind of left behind, the tech wasn't better necessarily. It's that they had a, a stronger like way to partner and really, again, like I, I use the word project management because you know, good project managers, they manage the project, right? They manage the people from it, both sides of the aisle, right? They're managing the people on one side of the aisle. They're managing people internally and they're making sure that the project goals get accomplished. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. Um, then I think like the persuasive sale. Um, and again, with ad tech, you've kind of seen that, that the people that have emerged in some of the, particularly like the data and the data segmentation plays, they've been able to actually differentiate with a different type of sales organization. I mean, just how the salespeople talk to customers. Sure. It's the difference between, as you talked about, trying to make the sale versus trying to help the customer make a decision. Yes. And I think that's sort of a key distinction that, that becomes more and more relevant in these really crazy, busy, crowded marketplaces that increasingly we sell into in business-to-business side. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, relationships, it's funny. You know, you, you can read certain people or hear certain people talk at conferences, and you think certainly some even from the SaaS space that, that uh, you know, relationships are less important than they were before. And I think that it's the relationships are different in sales, but no less important. Well, it's what it's what they care about has changed dramatically, right? It's that the buyer today now, as as we talked about, they're more distracted, they're more busy than ever, and so it's they care about different things. You know, when you're having your first conversation with them, if it's not face to face, you better believe like they're on their computer, they're probably also on their phone, right? And they're too, mm-hmm. so. I think that the relationship that you form, that's kind of like the emergence of the challenger sale, right? Like when the challenger sale, it talked about kind of waking people up, right? You're challenging their peace to kind of shock them out of this like world that they live in and talk about trends, which is why it's been such like a popular mantra for a lot of companies to adapt. And I think as we, I think that that's going to continue to be important. But, you know, to your point, it's that, you know, look, I don't have to go out and like buyers are saying like, look, I don't value the steak dinner with you. I don't value the wine with you. I value you helping me to do my job more effectively because I have less time, less resources and more pressure than ever. And I think that is, so it's a combination of the, again, like this idea, like I said before, of the challenger kind of sale mantra and the project management. Why project management is so important is that the buyers don't have time to think through how this could even work for their company internally, which is why sales has to do that. It's not a post-sales job. And so I think the relationship that the buyers want is what's fundamentally changed. And that's what's driven this, again, like going back to the project management point from before. They don't have the time because, again, most of the technology that people are selling, no one has ever bought before. It's not a clear replacement for something else where the path to purchase is very easy. And so because of that, helping the buyer to project manage and the, and the teams that can do that the best have helped the buyer to navigate and tell the buyer who needs to be involved, um, those are the teams that win. And those are the teams that close deals faster. Because they are helping the buyer to kind of demystify their own organizations. And I think there's a fallacy with, again, some like other talking sales head leaders that, well, the buyers know how to buy. And, and the, the truth is they don't. And it's not that it's because they don't know their own organizations. It's that most technologies now touch three or four different groups that these buyers don't interact with on a day-to-day basis. And so that's where this project management mantra comes in that, yes, the buyer has an understanding and can you know, be your champion and has an understanding of who possibly should be involved. But at the end of the day, that's, the sa- that's, that's like sales, project management, whatever you want to call it. That's their job to help the buyer to understand what the best practices are for actually implementing this. 
And so I think that's that's what you hear, Andy, in, in kind of the talking, you know, the other speaker space is I don't I don't think we talk enough about that. I think we want to, you know, give the buyer and, and again it's 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 the buyer can't have knowledge of, of how to buy it because they've never done it before. Sure. Well, and that also speaks to how the fact that it's very difficult to say, okay, we've got a set sales process because the sales process has to align with the buying process. And as you said, and I think it's really the case, and it's certainly been my experience over uh, decades of large enterprise sales, is that each one sort of recreates the wheel a little bit. Yeah. I, and, and what I would also, though, what I would say, though, Andy, is it also doesn't. Meaning, like, at, there comes a point where if you're a buyer or if you're a, a company and you're selling into enterprise sales, right, and even mid-market or SMB, you kind of know who needs to be involved. Oh, sure. And, yeah, and, and I think that that's what people take for granted is that people take for granted that there actually is so much similarity between even big, nasty enterprise deals. There's just like the right people need to be involved. And I think the problem is you as the company know that selling something. Many times the buyers don't actually know that. And so, yes, you, you have to map to the buyer journey. But understand that mapping to the buyer journey doesn't mean being a victim of their process. It means helping them to manage to like what could equal a successful outcome for both sides. And I think that's where this kind of, the very scary, scary thing that, that I hear is like, you know, when we think about the buyer journey, it's not like whatever they want to do and maybe they'll figure it out. It's no, it's like the buyer journey is how they typically buy. And that means that you look at your past deals and you analyze who are the people that involved at what steps and you manage to that process. Um, and I think that's the scary piece. It's not about letting the buyer do whatever they, they think because they don't know, you know, and again, it's no fault of their own. It's about help understanding how people have successfully bought the product before and helping to map that and help them to understand how that's going to work for them. Yeah, I mean, you, unless you have a completely brand new product, you should know what that is. Yeah, and you'll learn. And if you don't, if you have a product that you've only had, you know, 50 demos or whatever, you learn that the sad part is you'll learn through blowing the deal, right? You learn through, oh, wait, we've lost 10 deals in a row where the VP of operations wasn't involved and we've closed three where, you know, she or he was involved. Maybe we should make it a standard part of our buyer journey or sales process that the VP of ops has to be involved. Exactly. Exactly. All right. right. Well, good. Good. Yep. So uh, we'll move to the last segment of the show. I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. The first one is a hypothetical scenario that you're the star of, and that you, Jake, have just been hired as a new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out, and they want to get unstuck, and the CEO is looking to you to make a difference. So what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Great question. So let's assume it's a sales team of decent size, let's mm -hmm. say between, I don't know, 50. Let's just use the number of 50. So the, the mantra that I gave you from before is exactly what I would focus on initially with the exception of technology. So the, the idea around the people in the process, which are who are the leaders that we have in strategic positions today and what are their responsibilities? So step one for me, when you come into a new sales organization, you have to try to understand like what is the current team and particularly your you know, potential leaders, what, like how strong is your bench, right? So as you're thinking about like the individuals and the roles that they're performing. And then the next is the buyer journey. Do we have a clear idea of the how and why people buy? The how, which is how do we actually move people from point A to point Z? And the why, which is, again, some of these things that literally we were just talking about, you know, what are some kind of the main value points or, or issues that we solve for? 
So in the first week, you know, I think those are probably the most critical, and that's going to be tough to get done in you know a week. But I, you'd have to understand the team that exists today, um, and particularly what you're looking at is the leadership levels, mm-hmm. um, because that kind of sets the tone down. Uh, and then looking at the process again, the how, uh, you know, how we're selling, and then that you know, do we understand the who we're selling to, and do we understand the why they're buying? So I think if I, if I can understand those pieces, I'm at least going to have my finger on the pulse of how we start to potentially, you know, unraveling or spinning up, you know, different pieces of the puzzle. Okay, great. Good answer. Great answer. So have some sort of rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers if you want or elaborate. So the first one is when you, Jake, are out selling, what's your strongest sales attribute? Simplification. I think what, what we are what we are strong at is simplifying complex issues to very actionable tasks. And I think that that's the same approach that you know really good companies are able to take in their sales process as well, too. Okay. Who's your sales role model? Sales role. That's a good one. Um, you know, I'm gonna, I'll go old school. I'll go like the Zig Ziglar's and the Brian Tracy's of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... The psychology that they that they that I learned, you know, ten years ago in terms of how buyers behave in different aspects has is something that is still very very true today. And so I'll I'll give it I'll give a shout out to like the old school guys that you know probably a lot of younger people I know definitely when I talk to younger people now they've never heard of or uh, maybe have heard of in passing. <laughs> All right. So what's one book every salesperson should read? Well, you mentioned we mentioned a lot of books already today, which is good. I'm a big fan of, you know, if you're a sales professional, you have to be reading, you have to be staying on top of things. Um, you know, I'll tell you one, you know, there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'll mention it is it's, it's different than what we've talked about before. But one of the, the biggest obstacles that many salespeople encounter are different you know, ways to present proposals and pricing. And what I think that they do a really good job of is helping people to understand pricing psychology. Because when you get to more complex deals, and actually even very simple deals, the psychology behind how you frame pricing and how you think about the psychology of how people interact and how we, how we process information as, as people and as buyers, I think that that book really helps with a lot of like the the newer psychology behind a lot of the reasons that you know good salespeople are successful and they don't even know. So I'll, I'll go thinking fast and slow. All right. <clears throat> good. Now a tough question here for you. So what what music's on your playlist right now? Uh music on my playlist now, I'll pull it up. It looks like it is Lucas Graham, seven years old. Okay. Lucas Graham. Good. Haven't Lucas heard Graham. that much. Good. It's a Danish Danish pop. Yeah. yeah, I saw them on, uh, on TV last week. <laughs> yeah, they're great. They just came out with their new album. It's yeah. really fantastic. Yeah, they're memorable because of the name and the, being a Danish group. Uh, so, all right, so last question. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? Frequently asked by salespeople. Most frequently asked question is how do I overcome objections, right? And that could be a plethora of different pieces. And, and what, what's your answer? My answer is that objections are the symptoms of breaks in the process. And what I try to help sales, particularly frontline people and sales leaders understand is that objections come up because of things we either are saying or aren't saying. And so as objections come up, if you consistently hear them, you have to stop, stop the insanity, as Mr. Wonderful would say. 
Stop the insanity, go and look at your process and what you're doing and saying and figure out what it is and stop doing it. That, that almost all objections outside of like negotiation of price are almost without a doubt symptoms of a broken piece of the sales process, whether it's qualification, something you're saying, et cetera. So um, don't look for, to find cuter or better rebuttals. Don't get me wrong. Have those for when they come up. Instead, look to fix them from coming up in the first place. Great, great answer. All right, well, good. Well, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show today. My guest has been Jake Dunlap from Scaled. And Jake, how can people find out more about you? Awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks again, Andy. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, you can find us at scaled with a K dot com. Uh, you can find me at, at Jake T Dunlap on Twitter or Jake at scaled uh, via email. And again, thanks again, Andy, for having me. I really enjoyed it. It was my pleasure. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. An easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine. We have five new episodes a week you can listen to on your commute, in the gym, or on your mirror. Make it part of your morning sales meeting. That way you'll make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Jake Dunlap, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. 